The sermon text comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 6 through 11. Remember, this is God's word to us. It's given to us because he loves us. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who, is taking up, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you, as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts together in this moment to see you to hear you, because yours is the voice that we need to hear above all the other voices in our world around us and inside our own minds and hearts. Lord, would you speak over them and you would encourage us with your word today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I know you've had those moments where you've had trouble explaining something to someone, some concept, some explanation for what happened or what's going to happen, and no matter how hard you try, no matter how many different ways you try to go about it or spin it, the person or persons just don't understand what you're trying to say. Of course, these kind of moments happen a lot uh, with children, uh, especially if you are in the uh, car with kids for an extremely long time. They're going to ask you all sorts of questions that you'll have a really difficult time trying to explain to them and give them an answer that satisfies their curiosity, especially the question, when can we have ice cream? Uh, there's no, no answer to that question that is going to be satisfactory to them. They're just not going to understand why they can't have the ice cream right now. And I think in our passage today, in verse 6, is one of those what I like to call facepalm moments of Jesus with his disciples. I don't know. Maybe Jesus didn't do facepalms. Um, it sort of seems like sometimes he does get a little, you know, just a little bit like, oh, Goodness, like how many times do I have to say this to you guys over and over? Uh, it's obvious that the disciples, uh, you know, they had a lot of expectations, lot of expectations for who they thought Jesus was supposed to be and what they expected Jesus to do. And even now, post Jesus' death on the cross and being dead for three days and then rising to new life and now spending time with the disciples. Uh, for many, many days, they still had these expectations that now was the time that Jesus was going to kick the Romans out of the land and restore control of Jerusalem and the land of Palestine back into full control of Israel. As we've been bouncing around the Gospels uh, for a while now, we've seen this time and time again, that they, they had this expectation that that's what Jesus the Messiah had come to do. And that's for good reason. I mean, we can't totally kick, on, kick them while they're down and their misunderstanding. They had very good reason that this was their expectation. I mean, their scriptures were full of all these promises of a land 
that was going to be specifically theirs. They believed rightly that Jesus was or is to be the true king of Israel, even though most of their contemporaries at the time rejected Jesus or at least were suspicious of his claims of being the king. Like King David, this king of kings and waiting for many years, if you know that story, then King, this, you know, king David, while he was in waiting, he kind of had this ragtag band of merry men, you know, wandering around with him out in the wilderness. Uh, and so the disciples thought, you know, that's us too, just like King David and his mighty men. You know, one day, this Jesus, he will be king, and they would all get top jobs in his new regime. Israel would be the big dog again, and they specifically would be on top. And their Psalms and their prophets had given them plenty of reason for them to think and believe this would happen. They did not believe Jesus would die a violent death. And then he did. And they said, well, I guess we were wrong. And that's putting it mildly. They were devastated. But they also didn't expect him to rise from the dead. And now here he is. And having appeared to them for 40 days after his resurrection, of course, they were beginning to ask the question, well, wait a second, maybe, maybe now... Now are all our dreams finally coming true? And so they asked Jesus this question. At this time, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus' answer is yes and no. It's an already and it's a not yet. And I didn't plan this, but I think probably the first time that I ever learned about or heard of this concept or even using the terminology, the already and the not yet of Jesus' kingdom was under the teaching of Tim Keller. And this was not planned, but it dawned on me after the fact. I was like, oh yeah, this is one of the ways that, many ways that I was influenced by the teachings of Dr. Keller. So the already and the not yet. Well, already Jesus' kingdom is a political reality. It already is a political reality and that Jesus is the true king to which every knee must bow. That has happened. And in the ancient Near East, whenever someone was enthroned as king, heralds, of course, went out to proclaim the gospel, the good news. We have a king. This is good news for everybody. We have a king. That's what the gospel means. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it has already happened. We have a king. His name is Jesus of Nazareth, not Caesar Augustus. But there's also the not yet. We still await the time when the entire world is renewed and restored and all are living under God's good and righteous reign. That's what I think Jesus is talking about in his reply to the disciples' question. The timing of the return, the full return of God dwelling with man, this new heavens and this new earth, the renewal of all things. But it talks about there in verse 11 when the angels appear to the disciples who are just, you know, staring with like mouths open and in the clouds like, what just happened? And he says to them, why do you stand looking to heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And it talks about this cloud. You know, Jesus taken up in the cloud the same way you saw him taken up in a cloud. He'll come back 
But a cloud, if you read the book of Revelation, you see that as well. And all throughout the Bible, whenever we talk about clouds, we talk about smoke, it almost always represents God's presence. God being with his people. I mean, think about the Israelites after the Exodus, when they're wandering around in the desert. How did God lead them? A pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day signifying, I'm with you, I'm here, I'm still with you, and I'm leading you. Think about the tabernacle and the, and the temple when they built these things and God came to signify that he is still with his people. What did he do? He filled these things with smoke, with a cloud. And so this expectation that at the second coming, Jesus will return with or from a cloud, meaning his full presence returning to his people again. In full, and finally, and complete. But in the meantime, he has ascended back to the Father. The ascension was what we celebrate today. Where is Jesus now after his ascension? I don't know. Somewhere up there. I don't know the answer to that question. When is he coming back? Also, don't know. Jesus didn't answer the disciples' questions. What he says instead is that the, that question ultimately doesn't matter. God has set a time and has also determined the interval of time before that day of his full and final return and presence with his people comes by his own authority. And therefore, human speculation is pointless since God isn't revealing it clearly. They ask him a number of times and he always gives the same answer. Not for you to know. Because he has bigger fish to fry than for you to be spending all your time wondering where he is and when is he coming back and how can we determine it. He has more important things to accomplish, namely witness. Listen again to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. You've heard me say this before. I say it all the time. But what I do know is this, is that he is coming back. And when he does, we want to be found being about the father's business. Witnessing that in Jesus, the presence and purposes of God are ours again. You see, the disciples were right that the good news, the gospel of Jesus, is a political statement. Jesus is king. You are not. That is a political statement. Not the Jews, not the Romans. It's part of what got Jesus crucified, and we'll get almost all of the apostles martyred as well. But where they were off in their expectation is this thinking that the kingdom of God is merely an earthly, political, or military kingdom. That's what they expected. You're going to come, you're powerful, you're going to kick the Romans out of here. Where they were off in their expectation is not realizing that the kingdom of God is the present, spiritually directed reign of God transforming individual lives and entire cultures by the power of God's Holy Spirit. 
Remember, the promises to Israel to be this chosen people, to have this chosen specific land to call their own was always meant for mission. It was always meant for mission. They were blessed. Why? To be a blessing to others, to everyone, in fact. They were given a land at the crossroads of the ancient Near East, not to make them wealthy and comfortable and powerful and hoard it all to themselves, but so that every single person who had to travel through that place, and almost everyone in that world had to, if you wanted to get from point A to point B, to have commerce, to have trade, to trade ideas, to go where they had to go through this tiny little stretch of land. Why? So that they would be brought into contact with this people who worshipped the one true God, Yahweh. To be brought back into relationship with Him for life with God that He created us for to come back home. As we've looked at the last few weeks. To be drawn back into His purposes for the entire world. Which is that transformation that is changing the entire world. World, That transformation being the central mystery of the Christian faith, that is, we were made to dwell with God and God with us. That the goal of this life is ever deepening mystical union with Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit and then taking that union with God and embodying it in this world. Which will lead to the renewal of our minds, the reordering of our desires, the reordering of our affections, the redirecting of our work, and of course, the resurrection of our bodies. This pattern, life coming from death. And how will that change come about in this world? What is the primary vehicle for which God is going to bring about this change to this world. It is primarily through the community of faith that was formed in and around our Savior. That seed that was left standing, staring up into heaven like tourists in Manhattan is going to become the church. And through His church, Jesus is going to make His story known. This is how the first Christians understood what Jesus was doing in them. They didn't understand it as establishing this new religion or a more intense form of private piety or even an ultimate code of ethics. God was calling them into His story. The true story of Himself in Christ that sets the terms for reality. And He called them and is calling earth us to bear witness to that reality in Jesus. And he says, we can and we will all by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we will receive power to be his witnesses by the Holy Spirit. Now, what kind of power? Well, certainly power for effectiveness and witness and ministry. Power for the effective proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Power and victory over sin and victory over Satan and the demonic forces of evil in this world, which is both an individual struggle and a collective struggle. It is both of those things. It's not merely limited to our personal holiness, but our collective holiness in the face of the true evils that are destroying this world. It is power for the wide distribution of gifts for ministry 
And certainly it was power for the apostles, power to preach, power to work miracles, to confirm the message of Jesus in those early days. But here's the thing. The Spirit empowers all Christians for witness. Not just some. Not just the apostles of the book of Acts, as you'll see in the rest of the story. We tend to think that Christian witness is the, big, is the work of guys like Peter and guys like John and Paul and Barnabas and Silas. Or today, it's the work of our pastors. It's, that's Brian's job. That's Jameson's job. Or it's the work of our missionaries that we support in other places. They are the ones who are equipped by the Spirit to make the good news of Jesus known. They are the ones who have the task of evangelism, of sharing the good news. And we hear that word evangelism and we all begin to squirm a little bit in our seat, right? Oh no, here he goes. He's going to start talking about evangelism now and your skin begins to crawl. You start looking at your watch hoping that this sermon is almost done. Well, if you know me, it is almost done. But friends, if you if you take the time to read the book of Acts, and it is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. It's fun. It's exciting. All sorts of stuff is happening. And if you'll read through, you'll see that while God, by his Holy Spirit, does accomplish extraordinary acts through the apostles to make his story known, he also just uses ordinary, everyday people like you and me. with ordinary lives, with regular jobs. And as their lives are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, as they are changed, they too are witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit by simply telling their story of what God has done for them, of how God has changed their lives and set them apart. Your testimony of how God has changed you, what God is doing in you now, continuously, through you, your story is a powerful thing. I mean, that's basically all the Apostle Paul does over and over again. Just tells his story of how God came into his life and changed him. Of course, Paul's story is remarkable. It is a remarkable conversion testimony. And of course, yours will not look like Paul's. At least, I hope that your conversion story is not because you were persecuting Christians and God called you out of it. But all the same, don't sell your story short. Whether you have never known a day that you did not know Jesus as your King and Savior, which, by the way, that's ideal, or you came to faith later in life, often after you came, finally came to the end of your rope and realized that what you were doing wasn't working anymore. Whatever the case, don't sell your story short. Jesus is telling his story as you tell your story. And that's the basic of evangelism. It's not that hard. It's not that scary. It doesn't have to be. Of course, there are times and moments, and Dr. Tim Keller was great at these, at helping us learn how to speak about our faith logically and with intelligence and in ways that were winsome and attractive, but you also don't have to be as smart or as eloquent as Tim Keller. You just have to do what he did, which is just tell his story of what God meant to him, of how Jesus had changed him, how Jesus was changing him all throughout his life. 
Because Jesus is the best news the world has ever known. And by the power of His Holy Spirit, He's inviting us to participate in His purposes of making that good news known to the ends of the earth. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.